I've already introduced the man. I appreciate him so much. I so regret that his wife Mary could not be with us. I always miss when she can't come. It's an incredibly beautiful uh, voice. If I don't say it later, be sure and avail yourself to the book table. Will you say anything about your book table? Okay, very good. And there's, there's uh, music CDs out there and preaching, t uh, uh, all sorts of books and everything, but they're wonderful. I don't want to take more of his time. I want us to welcome Dr. John Van Gelderen to the pulpit here at Hope Baptist Church. Thank you so much, Pastor. Proverbs 18 in your Bibles today. Proverbs 18. And what an absolute joy to be back here at Hope Baptist Church. Uh, when I was here two and a half years ago, that was just a delightful uh, time. And I've been looking forward to this. And uh, may the Lord breathe on us. You know, I know many of you have been praying leading up to this meeting. Let me encourage you. Keep on praying. Let's ask God to move. And let's ask God to speak. Uh, these are interesting times. We need the reality of God in our lives more than we ever have, but we always need Him. And I do appreciate your prayer in that regard. I do trust that you'll come every service that God wants you to come. And uh, let's uh, look to the Lord to meet with us. Good to see uh, Pastor Vanderhart here, too. His dad is one of my dear, dear friends. And this is just a thrill to have that connection. And uh, may the Lord uh, breathe on us in these days together. Well, I appreciate what the men just sang, Behold Our God. Let's do that by looking at a text that puts the focus right on God, which I think is what we need right now. Uh, this is a text that certainly is appropriate to begin a revival meeting. Uh, we'll see that as it unfolds. It's also very appropriate for the world events right now. So let's look at this amazing text of Scripture and let the Spirit of God uh, speak to our hearts. Proverbs 18 and verse 10. What a verse. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. What a text. I want to speak this morning on our strong tower. Let's pray. Lord, we need you this morning. We do pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Lord, I pray that right now, as we begin this special series of meetings, that we would not miss what you're saying. Lord, may our ears be attuned and open our eyes that we would behold you and realize that you are the Almighty. Now, Lord, I plead the blood, protect us from the attack of the enemy who would seek in any way to hinder or to interfere this morning. Lord, I trust you that that not be allowed. So we claim our position in you, Lord Jesus, on the throne, far above the enemy. And we claim the protection that we have in you and trust you, Lord, uh, to manifest your victory this morning. So, Lord, breathe on us now. Meet with us now. May we rejoice in you today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. A number of years ago, I was in the country of Ireland, and my friend David O'Gorman, good Irish name there, uh, took me to a town called Glendalough. Over there, a lock is a lake. Uh, so uh, uh, this is a beautiful town situated next to this beautiful lake and mountains surrounding it. By the way, it's good to be back in mountainous country. I was born in Durango, Colorado, so it's good to be back on the turf, <laughs> though I had to live most of my life in Chicago. But uh, at any rate, uh, good to be back in this turf, and uh, made a, uh, it's very, very special. Anyway, back to the story here. Uh, so uh, it's a beautiful town. It's surrounded by mountains. It's very green. The Emerald Isle, obviously, is uh, known for that. And uh, in the center of this town, there are ancient ruins. And uh, in the middle of those ruins, there is literally a tower that towers above everything in that valley. 
And so we were sightseeing and all that, and we were standing at the bottom of the tower, and uh, my friend Dave uh, O'Gorman said, he said, now, now notice, John, he said, notice where the door is. It was not at ground level. It was well out of reach, uh, way up, and uh, there was a door. There was no staircase. Uh, there was uh, no nothing. I don't know how they got there, but there was a door. And uh, the way it worked in uh, former time periods, uh, they uh, uh, had this tower so that if an enemy came, uh, they would sound an alarm and everyone in that vicinity would run to the tower. They obviously had a method to get to that door. I don't know if it was a rope. I have no idea what it was. Uh, but they got uh, up there, and when the last one was in, they would shut the door safe above the enemy. And apparently it worked because the tower still stands. Now that's the exact picture that this Old Testament Proverbs proverb is giving us. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it, and you're safe. The picture of that central fortress so that in times of danger, you can run to that tower and take refuge. Now notice here, it's not just a tower, it's a strong tower. It's a worthy tower. It is a true place of refuge because it's the picture here of the name of the Lord. And notice also, this is more than a promise. It does not say the name of the Lord will be a strong tower. That would be wonderful. Promises are wonderful. They're, they're tremendous, but they're pushed out a little bit because if there will be, then that means there not is yet. But this is an is. This is more than a promise. This is a fact. This is more than a potentiality. It is a reality right now. The name of the Lord is a strong tower right now. And then it says the righteous run into it and is safe. And some may say, well, you know, I knew there was going to be a, a catch somewhere. The righteous, oh, if you only knew, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm not doing too well. I'm kind of blowing it. And if, uh, uh, I guess that counts me out. Now, notice it says the righteous. The wording here indicates the individuals that at some point in their life have an, uh, had an understanding through the convincing work of the Holy Spirit that sin really is the problem. It is. And yes, judgment in hell really is the consequence. That's real. But Jesus really is the answer. And he came from heaven into our world and uh, took on a human body and went to the cross. Our sin was put on him uh, so that uh, uh, through faith his righteousness can be put on us. He did die. He did rise again and offers his eternal life to those who will believe in him. And when you make that choice, to stop depending on yourself and whatever else you've been trusting in and to cast your dependence on Jesus alone to apply his saving work to you once and for all. At that moment, among many other salvation truths, yes, your sins are forgiven. Yes, you're given his eternal life. But at that moment, as your sin was put on him through faith, now his righteousness is legally imputed, credited to your account. And from that moment onward, you are in the group that God himself calls the righteous. Wow, that's a glorious possibility. Friends, if you're not in that group, you need to get in it. You need to put your faith in Jesus. It's not based on our righteousness. It's based on his, because only God meets the standard of God. That's why we need the righteousness of Christ. But there it is. It says the righteous run into it. Beautiful picture. And, of course, the tower is the picture of the name. So it's running into the name, tying right into New Testament terminology, in his name. In his name. See, it's, 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 it's a beautiful uh, a picture of, of dependence, faith in him. And then you have this wonderful promise. 
is safe. The word means set on high. Safe above the enemy, above the trouble. So it's a very simple verse, is it not? The object of faith is given in the first phrase. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The exercise of faith is given in the second phrase. The righteous run into it. And then the promise of faith is given in the final phrase and is safe. So there's a very obvious and simple lesson. And if ever we need it, we need it now. Run to the tower. Run to the tower of the name of the Lord. Now the key to faith is the object of faith. We're the subject of faith. We're the ones who exercise faith. God is the object of faith based on his word. So the key to faith is not us. Bless the Lord. The key to faith is God. He's the object of faith. And so let's behold our God. Let's focus on his name. You realize that the name Lord here in our text, you'll notice in your English Bible that the word or the name Lord is in all capitals. And that's representing a particular Hebrew name. Uh, we sometimes use the term Jehovah. Uh, more recent years, theologians use the term Yahweh. All of it representing this name, this particular name of the Lord. So let's look at this name. Let's, let's contemplate this name this morning. Let's let the Spirit of God open this name up to our hearts. This name is used by itself throughout uh, the Old Testament many, many times as we're going to see, but it's also used occasionally with another Hebrew word, and those are called the Jehovah titles. In fact, we know in the Old Testament there are ten of those, so if we took all of the ten Jehovah titles and the name Lord by itself, we would have an 11-point message. And no one said amen. <laughs> so that is just not going to work on a Sunday morning. It's just not going to fit. Somehow, some way, we've got to pare this down. Well, <laughs> it's interesting uh, that uh, in our uh, uh, translation here uh, that uh, the Jehovah titles, there, there are seven of them that are actually translated. One of them is very familiar to us. It's Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my... That's a Jehovah title. The Lord, my shepherd. There it's just translated. The Lord is my shepherd. So if we took those seven that are translated, uh, plus the name Lord by itself, we'd have an eight-point message. <laughs> and, we, and we got one, amen. But not the whole body by any means. People are thinking, you know, you got to finish in time. We got to beat the Presbyterians and the Methodists to the restaurants. But uh, <laughs> So <laughs> that's not going to work either. So let's pare it down a little bit more. Let's, let's go to the other three that are not translated. They're actually transliterated, where the Hebrew letters are just brought into the English language. Uh, for example, like Jehovah Jireh. We'll see that one here in a moment. Uh, let's take those three in the name Lord by itself, and we have a four-point message. And amen or not, that's where we're stopping. <laughs> now, let's begin with the name Lord by itself. This is the strong tower of life. This name, Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, occurs in our Old Testament 5,321 times. Now, if you know anything about the number of occurrences of words in our Bible, this is huge. I mean, this is massive. Apparently, God wants us to know him by this name. Because that is the name that is used just over and over and over and over again. This is the name that God used when he revealed himself to Moses. You remember at the burning bush uh, when it discouraged Moses out there in the wilderness and things didn't happen like he thought they were going to happen down there in Egypt. And uh, now he sees this, uh, this bush on fire and he goes and he looks at it because it's not, it's not being consumed. 
and the Lord speaks to him and commissions him to go back uh, 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 to Egypt and lead the people of God out of Egypt and to the promised land. Well, Moses had a few questions for the Lord that day. <laughs> He's just like us, by the way. And uh, uh, he, uh, he's asking some questions. And finally, he says, well, well who am I going to tell him to set me? And at that point, God translates his own name. When he says, I am <laughs> that I am. That's the translation of the name Lord. He says, you tell them that I am has sent me unto you. Now, think of that. The I am. The God who is, he lives in the eternal, eternal present tense. Therefore, from our minds of perspective, he was and is and is to come, but he is. And this is why Tozer used to say, A.W. Tozer, that God dwells at the beginning of time as we know it, and at the end of time as we know it, at the same time. Now, if you think too hard on that, we might see a little vapor and smoke come out of a few heads. But uh, this is amazing. The I am. This eternal one. This God who is faithful in his presence. I am. In fact, in Genesis chapter 21 and verse 33, this name Lord is explained as the everlasting God. Now let's bring that into New Testament terminology, the everlasting life. Jesus said in John 10, I am. <laughs> I am come that they might have life and that they might have it, the life, more abundantly. Now friends, that's at the core of this name, life, the I am, the eternal one, the eternal life of God. You see, eternal life is not something Eternal life is someone. And friends, Jesus said, he who believes on me has eternal life. Friends, when you understand sin's the problem, hell's the consequence, Christ is the answer, and you put your faith in him to save you from sin and hell, at that moment, among all those other salvation crews, you receive his eternal life. He moves in. His spirit brings his life right into you. And he says, I am come that they might have that life and that they might have it more abundantly. In other words, that they would experience that life. Because when you access the eternal life as the animating power to your personality, you are experiencing abundant life. You see, no other religion has the founder moving right into the hearts of the followers. A divine someone moving into a human someone so that the human someone is animated by the divine someone. That there is this God animation. And when I was here last time, I preached a message of being in glow with Jesus this Sunday morning service. I'm sure you remember it with all the details. But the point is, <laughs> uh, when Jesus in us is animating us, there is a Jesus look. There is a fragrance, there is an aura, there is a dynamic, there is a radiance. There is an attractiveness, regardless of what we are otherwise. Uh, uh, and that attractiveness is Jesus. Now friends, are we experiencing that life? We may have that life. If you're saved, you do. 
Are we experiencing that life? And if we're not, that means we need revival. <laughs> we need re-life. We need restoration to life again. The life that moved in, the eternal life, now accessed as the abundant life so that there's a restoration to spiritual life. That is the very essence of revival. Now, friends, God wants you to be saved and know it. He wants you to be clean and know it, but he wants you to be filled with him and know it. We have a course called Netcasters. It's, the, it's really a course on the spirit-filled life applied to witnessing. And uh, back uh, uh, some years ago, we would hold these week-long modules. We called them Net Seminars. Uh, where guys would come in, and uh, we'd, we'd Monday to Friday, I mean, it was full-blown, I mean, full-blown course, a lot of memorization, and so forth and so on, and uh, uh, we'd go out on the turf, and had a lot uh, to it all, but on the Mondays, we would always have, we'd ask people why they came. Well, I remember we were holding in that seminar in Chicago, and it was at a large church, and uh, so people had come in from across the country. In fact, one came from, uh, uh, from Europe uh, for that particular net seminar. Uh, but uh, a lot of the staff members of that big church uh, were also there uh, as a part of it as well. And when we were asking everybody, you know, why have you come? Well, the youth pastor to that church stood up. He'd been there for five years, very, uh, a very winsome personality, very talented, very gifted, and so on. And uh, that was a, a large youth group, I think about 150 kids. And he stood up, and here's what he said. He said, I am here because I do not understand what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And he said, I have to. He said, I have to understand. He said, I cannot come to the end of this week and not know what it is to be filled with the Spirit. And I wanted to shout hallelujah. Because he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. And friends, I'm going to tell you, God began to meet with that guy. By Wednesday, that man was in full-blown personal revival. He really was. And uh, in fact, uh, we broke from the seminar for the Wednesday night service there at the church. They asked me to preach in the service. Uh, he was with the youth group in another room. That's just how they did it. And uh, normally he had a fancy uh, handout and all the funny stuff and this, that, and the other. But that day he tossed all of that and began to declare to those teenagers what God was doing for his soul. And he looked at those young people and he looked them in the eye and said, I owe you an apology. He said, I have been your youth pastor for five years and I have not showed you who God is. There's been no demonstration of what God can do. And you know, teenagers know if you're being sincere. They just know. And they knew this was real. He was broken. And immediately, with no human leadership, this one began to speak, and then this one, and they began to confess their sins. Nobody asked them to do that, except the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, it was rolling. In fact, there were young people that were at odds with their parents and were such, under such conviction that they left that room, this was a large campus, went to the main auditorium where I was preaching, found their parents and said, I can't wait, I've got to talk to you in the lobby right now, and got right with their parents. There was one girl that told her mom, she told me the next day, she said, you know, Mom, when all that started happening, we could not stay on our chairs. We had to get down. God had come. And you know, it all came. That was really a corporate revival in a youth group that came because of a personal revival with one man. You know what was happening? He ran into the tower of life. 
and found life again. Does that make sense? That's revival. And so if that is our need, let's run to the tower. But secondly, we see the strong tower of provision. This is the name Jehovah Jireh. It occurs one time. It is in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 14. Remember God had told Abraham to go and sacrifice his son, his only son Isaac. You say, well, what about it? How can I say only son because of Israel? Only son of promise. <laughs> Only one that came to the miraculous hand of God, the only, and so on. But he said, sacrifice your only son, Isaac, and so on. So you remember the story. As they're going, he's got his servants with them. They were to do it at a certain place, Mount Moriah, very uh, a significant place. It's where uh, the Dome of the Rock and so on is in Jerusalem today. And so uh, they're going to that site. This is where Jesus was crucified, that whole area. And uh, at any rate, as they're going, they come to where they can see it afar off. And so Abraham says to his servants, you stay here. My son Isaac are going to go worship the Lord and we're going to come back. That was faith because he was told to slay his son. And as just the two of them are now going, Isaac says to his dad, Dad, I see the fire, I see the wood. Where's the lamb? And Abraham runs to the tower with the phrase, God will provide himself a lamb. And he goes and he builds that altar. And uh, most theologians believe Isaac was well into his adult life. So this was a matter of surrender for him. It was a matter of faith for him as well. He gets on that altar and Abraham takes that knife and raises it ready to plunge it down into his own son's chest. I can't even imagine. And of course, that's where the angel of the Lord stops him. <laughs> and then he sees a ram in the thicket. And he offers the ram. See, there's only one lamb of God. He offers the ram in the stead, in exchange. Wow, atonement uh, means a lot. And in all that it means, that exchange, in exchange for his son. And that's when he calls the name of that place Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. The Lord, my provider. Do we believe that? You know, that's a big one because it can cover a lot of stuff. My provider. It can, can cover stuff in the spiritual realm. It can cover stuff in the material realm. It can cover things like providing a job. The Holy Spirit's practical. It can cover so much. There is a man over in the country of Uzbekistan... You say, where in the world is that? Well, if you know where Pakistan is above India, then there's Afghanistan and there's a few more stands. It's somewhere over there. <laughs> and uh, so that's his country. And it's, uh, it's very, uh, it's an Islamic country, very much against Bible Christianity and uh, intense persecution. He's been written about several times in a magazine called Voice of the Martyrs. And uh, I remember several years back, uh, uh, he had gotten thrown in prison again. It was so intense, he thought for sure this time they were going to kill him. Uh, his church scattered because they were afraid now to meet. You know, we don't understand this. Uh, it was that intense. And so now his wife and his small children were left on their own. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, church, you know, it, was, it was a small church. It was out in the country and so on. And so uh, they barely survived. He was in, in the prison for six months. To his shock, he got out. And they had survived. They had a little garden. They had survived on what little they had. But now it was all running out. And uh, he went to the church, but the, the church people were afraid to come. I don't fault them. I don't understand the pressure they were under. And uh, so for two days in an empty building, he would praise God. He was a man of faith. He is a man of faith. 
And, uh, but the, the practical reality is they were running out of food. Now, you know, we haven't eaten for four hours and we say we're starving. They were starving, literally. And no food, period. You can only do that for so many days. The little girl, seven-year-old daughter, came to the dad and she said, Daddy, when are we going to have some food? I don't know that I can fully fathom the impact of, uh, as a dad, having no way to provide. And he looked at his daughter, he said, we will have breakfast in the morning. The next morning he got up at five o'clock to go talk to God. <laughs> she got up early too. She was hungry and she remembered the promise. And she said, Daddy, when are we gonna eat? Daddy, when are we gonna have something to eat? I'm so hungry. And it broke his heart and he ran into the name of the Lord. And he cried out to the Lord and he said to his daughter, we're going to have breakfast in, in a bit. Let's go out in the garden and work while we wait. Well, as they began to work, they heard a car coming down their gravel country road. Well, hardly anybody ever came down that road. And to their shock, this car pulled into their driveway. Two men got out. They pulled out an envelope. They said, you know, we were supposed to go somewhere else today, but the Lord <laughs> sent us to you to give you this. This man opened it up. Inside was the equivalent of one month's wages. He was stunned. He was in awe. So was the girl. Next thing you know, that car was driving away, and they hadn't even said thank you because they were just so overawed by what had just happened. And the car turned and went down the street, and so they ran up the driveway. I went around that corner, and they wanted to flag it down because they wanted to say thank you. When they turned and looked, there was no car to be seen. There was no fading engine sound. There was no cloud of dust, and there were no fresh tracks. You know, Hebrews tells us that God still uses his angels as ministering spirits. And that little girl looked at her dad and said, Daddy, from now on, your God will be my God. See, God wants us to know him. He wants us to know his name. And friends, we are losing entirely too many of our young people because they don't know the Lord. They don't know him. And so he is the strong tower of life. He is the strong tower of provision. Thirdly, he is the strong tower of victory. Jehovah Nissi is our Jehovah title here. It also occurs one time. It's in Ezekiel 17, verse 15. Now, remember a couple of chapters earlier, or not Ezekiel, <laughs> Exodus. Uh, a couple of chapters earlier, uh, earlier in Exodus, uh, God had uh, sent the judgments, the plagues there on Egypt, and then uh, there was the uh, Passover. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And then the great deliverance at the Red Sea. All of that picturing redemption. Now they're out in the wilderness and they get attacked. They get attacked a lot. They get attacked in the wilderness. They've just come out of Egypt. They've just been miraculously delivered through the Red Sea, drunk, walking on dry ground. And it, it says it was a wall on the right and a wall on the left, the world's greatest aquarium show. I think you missed that. At any rate. <laughs> now they're through it, <laughs> out there in that desert, and they get attacked by a people group called Amalek. Theologians suggest that this is a picture of the flesh because now they've been redeemed and there's this new attack. I think it's uh, well uh, uh, put. But at any rate, they get attacked. So Joshua leads the uh, armed forces 
And uh, Moses holds up the rod of God, representing his authority, and they're winning. But his arms got tired. And as his arms lowered, the rod lowered, and they began to notice that the tide was turning. And now Amalek began to prevail. And so Aaron and her uh, sat Moses down on a rock, and they got on either side and held up his arms. What a picture. So that the rod of God was held high, representing God's authority. And God gave Israel the victory. And so in gratitude, Moses built an altar, and he named that altar Jehovah Nissi. Now, what does it mean? Literally means the Lord is my banner. Now, that doesn't do much for most of us, but think of it in terms of a flag in a time of battle, and if the flag is flying, it means you won. In fact, the very concept is in our own national anthem. Oh, say does that star-spangled banner yet wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. And that was the, the indication that there was victory. There you go. He's the strong tower of victory. Now, there's only one victorious life. His name is Jesus. And Jesus is the Jehovah that we read about in the Old Testament. There's a whole many reasons for that. But my point is, he's the victorious life. See, it's getting into him. You and I can try to mimic victory, but it will either fall flat on our face, or all we will to do is produce a form of godliness that denies the power thereof. It's not the same. But when you run into him, when your trust is in him, when you access him, then the Spirit imparts him, the victorious life himself, to you. And when that happens, you experience his victory. You sang about it today. Victory in Jesus. See, in him, in his name. Now, friends, what areas of defeat have the upper hand in individuals in this room right now? Run into his name. Victory. You see, when you're in him, he doesn't lose. Amazing. You know, sometimes we say, yeah, 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 you know, I, I ask God to give me victory, but it's just not happening. Well, it's like one time a guy told me, he said that he had a, a problem with cursing, and uh, uh, he prayed for victory, nothing ever happened, and his, a friend of his said, look, you're asking God for victory when you're playing tug-of-war with God. You're hanging on to that sin. You're hanging on to your end of the rope. You can pray all you want to. He said, you're not going to get help until you let go of your end of the rope. So the guy caught it. He went to God and said, God, no more tug of war. I let go of this. But God, you know it's beyond me. You know I can't do this. I'm looking to you. Now we have faith, not wishful thinking. And he looked at me and he said, you know, God gave me victory. I told that story in Atlanta, Georgia. Two years later, I came back to that church, and a young man said to me, you remember that, that, that guy you told us about the cursing and, and uh, the tug of war? He said to you, he said, for me, the issue wasn't cursing. For me, it was chewing tobacco. This was Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, uh, he said, I, I had asked God for victory. Nothing ever happened. But he said, that clicked. He said, I knew I was playing tug of war with God. I'm asking God for help while I'm hanging on to it. He said, I went to God and said, God, no more. I am not hanging on to this anymore. But God, you know this is beyond me. I need you. He smiled at me. He said, you know what? That was two years ago. He said, I haven't chewed since. Wow. That's beautiful. 
What about bitterness? What about anger? What about the outburst that makes things fly that don't have wings? What about the closet sins? So prevalent through modern technology. Man's always <laughs> uh, been able to figure things out, but nonetheless, it's pretty easy these days. What about that? Friends, it is time to get into the name, the strong tower, and access the victorious life himself. Think of a pastor's wife who came to me. She said, you know, my husband's with the Lord now. She said he was a dear man. He was a good pastor and a good husband and a good father. She, he said, she said he had one major flaw. <laughs> she said he had a bad temper. And boy, she said, when that flew, it was bad. And uh, she said that one time uh, he lost his temper and, and lashed out at some of the church folk. And it just was, it was a terrible mess, she said. And uh, he came to her a few days later and said, I'm going into my office. I don't know how long I'll be there. If I need food, I'll call you and I want you to bring it. But please don't let anybody knock on my door. I have to meet with God. He's running into the name. She said, you know, he went in on a Monday and came out on a Friday. And she said, he never lost his temper again that I know of. Glory. Friends, it is time for us to finally step back and say, God, I've tried this on my own. It's not working. I'm mucked up. Apart from you, I've made a mess. But God, I'm letting go of this. I am looking to you. And that's running into the name, and that's when we find his victorious life ever ready for us to experience. Then number four, not only is he the strong tower of life and the strong tower of provision and the strong tower of victory, he is the strong tower of peace. Jehovah Shalom. Yes, this one also occurs one time. It's in Judges chapter 6. It's the story of Gideon, who was prior to that unknown. And the Midianites had gathered around to attack Israel. And the angel of the Lord, which is a phrase in our Old Testament that expresses an Old Testament appearance of God, of Jesus, uh, appears to him. He doesn't fully recognize it first. And the angel says, the Lord is with thee and commissions him to lead Israel to victory over the Midianites. And so there's a conversation. And then before the angel leaves, the, of course, Gideon does not yet know this is the angel of the Lord. He says, well, we can't leave that because, you know, protocol. Uh, uh, he says, let me bring a meal. And so he goes and prepares a meal. He brings it out. And the angel of the Lord says, put it over on this rock. And so he obeys and he puts the food on a rock. And the angel takes his staff and touches the food and it bursts into flames. And consume the food. And the scripture tells us that the angel of the Lord then departed out of Gideon's sight. The indication is he vanished. And that's when Gideon got terrified because he realized, I've been in the presence of God. And he thought God was going to strike him dead. And the Lord spoke. Shalom. Peace be unto thee. Thou shalt not die. And in gratitude, Gideon built an altar, and he called it Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is my peace. Now, friends, this is true for Israel. This is true for us. Peace is in a person. His name is Jesus. The Lord. 
Jehovah. We live in a troubled world. That's the understatement of the year. Troubled in so many ways. Troubled financially, all the predictions of another crash like 08. Troubled politically, all the stuff and muck and upside down, topsy-turvy stuff that's just happening every day. Trouble with war, whether it's in Europe or right now in Israel or in Myanmar, with those dear believers suffering over there in that civil war that nobody hears about, or whether it's our turf next. Friends, if ever we needed to know the name of the Lord, it's now. If ever there was a time for the people of God to respond differently than their unsaved counterparts, it's now. If ever there's a time for the peace of God to pass all understanding and to manifest that there is a God who's bigger than all this stuff, it's now. We need to know him. We need to run, run to the strong tower, in this case of peace. And there's so much more. He has many other names. But we won't do the 11-point message. But friends, if you don't run into the strong tower of the Lord, then you allow Satan to build a stronghold. We must run. The psalmist put it this way in Psalm 18:2: The Lord, there's that name again, is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. See, it's got to go from the high and strong tower to my strong tower because you run into his name. Psalm 9, verse 10 puts it this way, and they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. You know, if you find yourself slow to put your trust in God, you know why? Because you don't know his name. Anytime we're slow, it means we don't know him. That's why we've got to behold our God. We've got to know him. We've got to let the Spirit of God take the truth of God and open our eyes beyond just the intellectual interaction with words on a page to the living word himself so that we behold him. He is our guide. He is our comforter. He is our strength. He is our life. As we've seen today, our provision, our victory, our peace. May we run into the tower of the name of the Lord. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Thank you for your kind attention this morning. Let me ask today... With our heads bowed, are there any that would say, Preacher, God has spoken to me. Maybe it's the need for life again. Yes, you're saved, but you're not experiencing that life. And perhaps you as well are like that young man that I mentioned who said, I don't know what it means to be full of the Spirit. I've got to know. Maybe you're here today and there is some need for provision. Again, we cover a lot of the different things. Maybe you're here and there's a need for victory. You know it. There's, there's a stumbling that uh, has become near habit and, and there's got to be there's got to be a change, a setting free, an access of the victorious life himself, a letting go of the tug of war and actually putting your trust in him. Maybe you're very troubled. We live in a troubled world, fear of so much. War, 
pestilence, plagues, sickness, all of us. I wonder who today would say, Preacher, God is speaking to me. I'm saved, but there's some areas or there is an area where I need to run into the name of the Lord. And God spoke to me, would you raise the hand, please, if that's you? Yes, 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 amen. Anyone else? Preacher, God spoke to me. Yes, over here. God bless you. Yes, yes. I need that peace. I need that victory. I need him. Anyone else? Would just lift a hand up right now. Yes, amen. Now let me ask this. I said at the very beginning, the righteous, individuals who've understood their own righteousness won't do because only God meets the standard of God. And they've understood sin is the problem, judgment is the consequence, but Jesus alone is the answer, and they've made a choice to depend on him. Maybe you've never made that choice. Is there someone in this audience today that would say, Preacher, I do not know that my sins are covered, forgiven, and that the righteousness of Jesus has ever been put on my account. I didn't even know that was possible, so that you can be accepted by a righteous God because you have the righteousness of God's son, Jesus. I wonder who would say, Preacher, I don't know that I have that. I need to know that you, would you raise the hand? I need to know that I'm saved and that I have the righteousness of Jesus. Anyone at all? Now, Father, I pray that you'll bless in these final moments. Lord, I pray that wherever you've stirred us, that we would run into your name. With our heads bowed, would you quietly stand to your feet? Sir, pianist plays, would you take some time to talk to God about what he's talking to you about? If you'd like, you can come and get on your knees if you can do that without pain. But talk to God right now about whatever he's talking to you about. we thank you that your name is the strong tower worthy more than enough for us to run into for so many buried things but still finding refuge in you Lord may we do so may we not miss out may we experience you and Lord in these coming services May this picture of faith, Lord, set the stage for what you're going to lead us into in the progression of truth of this meeting. May you be honored in it all. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you. You may be seated.